Uh, it was nice of Matt to sing Oh Happy Day this morning. Kind of helped us with some focal issues. Anybody got any focal issues this morning besides Alabama fans who don't have any focal issues? Whoa, what a rough week, huh? You know, growing up in New Orleans, you, had, you always had, the, this is the way it worked, right? You guys know this if you grew up here. You were used to the Saints stinking, and you just had this hope that LSU would give you something to believe in, right? Every year. But the last few years, things have changed. And so when LSU fell to pieces the other night, most of us retained some hope that, yeah, but we still got the Saints. <laughs> Didn't you? All right, so hey, so we don't win the national championship, but there's still the Super Bowl, and that's a bigger deal anyway. So we're, we're alive, we're good. And then last night happens. And, you know, here's the, here's the problem in the sports world. At this moment, there's no hope that we can transfer anything to the Hornets, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm just shooting straight with you here. I mean, I love Monty Williams, but uh, I don't, I, if Moses were the coach, I'd still have concerns, right? <laughs> There's miracles, and then there's, I don't know what you'd call that. Well, let me, let me be honest, though. Uh, th- this series that we're doing right now, it's, it's about the reality of the Spirit. It's about experiencing the Spirit. I mean, how many of you guys experienced disappointment last night at somewhere around 6 to 6.30, whenever that time, Right? You're in touch with what that feels like. You had an experience, didn't you? Doesn't life have experiences? Right? I, I, there was, I mean, there was experiences going on in my den. There, there, was, there was yelling at the TV screen. There was painful screams going on, so much so that my four-year-old, who's in the other room trying to eat, just came unglued. He, couldn't, he didn't know what to do with all the screaming. <laughs> it's like he just started crying <laughs> Moments later, he's in the room, and of course, the lead changed place. What in four minutes? Back and forth, back and forth. So at one point, we're at peace, and then just moments later, no, ah, boo, ah, all across the room, ah, he's crying again. I'm trying to explain to him, no, no, Drew, it's okay. That this is normal. It's football. This is how you watch a football game. There's nothing wrong. No one's hurt. We're all fine. But. It was an experience. How many of you guys experienced something last night? All right. Now, can you go with me here? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not a sports writer. I'm a pastor. And I don't ever want the headlines that could get generated from those events to eclipse the headlines that get generated right here this morning. All right. So can I put us in touch with something? How many of you guys were upset with... You know, nine seconds left on the clock. How many of you guys were upset at that point? You were, you were in touch. Do you know what upset feels like? All right. Because you had dashed hopes, what you longed to be experiencing in days to come, the continued chase. We're still in it. We got next week to look forward to, then possibly the Super Bowl again. I mean, there was, there was some jazz going on inside of us, right? All right, when I get to the end of the message today, if your experience doesn't look like what seems to be normal here, I want you to be that upset. Right? I'm not sure upset's the right word, but it's all I got. <laughs> I, want, I want you to be, 
I don't, I don't want you to greet it like, uh, like, you know, you were watching Kansas City play Cleveland, you know. And who even knew that they were playing? Oh, is the game over? All right. Let's see if Martha Stewart's on. I mean, who cares? Okay, but when we come here and we describe things that are biblical, that are for us, that are purchased by God, that should be invading our lives, that should be affecting our souls, and we read about it and we go, I see it there, I don't see it here. I see it there, but I don't see it here. I want you to be bugged this morning. I want you to be disturbed. I want you to either complain. I want you to nudge somebody next to you. I want you to scream. I want you to do something, right, because... The Spirit of God is the real presence of God among us. We should be experiencing something, right? All right, let me put my, here we go. Our graphic is back up here. All right, our, our desire here is to be rescued from our Holy Spirit presets where we have chosen two or three categories and we've said that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm familiar with that. I've been experiencing that for these many years of my salvation. Yeah, I got that one, got that one. But now that you've put them all up there, I'm kind of staring at a bunch of them going, I I don't have a lot of them. As a matter of fact, it looks like there's more that I don't have than I do have. Right, so this leaves a lot of room for growth, right? We all coming in touch with that. We got a lot of room to grow in the ministry of the Spirit. Let me give you a couple of helpful, provoking thoughts from some other men who have sought to engender the body of Christ towards the move of the Spirit. C.J. Mahaney, a message probably about 15 years ago, I think, said this: Regardless of questions, and we have questions about the Spirit, you should still be seeking more than you have experienced to date. And you should not succumb to being satisfied with what you have experienced to date. And I'm concerned that with the prevalence of worldliness in our culture and all the distractions that exist, it is so possible, even probable, that through legitimate desires that become idols, we will be satisfied with less than what is offered and taught in Scripture. And I want us to avoid that plight. I want us, as the years pass, to become more and more passionate, recognizing that this whole process of relating to the Spirit of God has only just begun. We are mere novices. There's so much more to experience. Let us determine in our hearts that we will not be satisfied with anything less than what is taught in Scripture. Right? Can, can you stop right there and decide whether you're going to determine that for yourself or not? Let us determine in our hearts that we will not be satisfied with anything less than what we see in Scripture. Right? Let us not define normal out of our recent experience, out of our lifetime of experience, out of the people that we know's experience, out of our church culture's experience, out of our personal traditional experiences, let's not be satisfied with anything less than what we see in Scripture. All right, this, is, this is not a new admonition. I appreciate CJ's passion. A hundred years or more earlier, another guy with initials in the front of his name, J.C. Ryle, said this, pray daily for a great outpouring of the Spirit on the church and on the world. This is the grand need of the day. It is the thing that we need far more than money, machinery, and men. 
The company of preachers in Christendom is far greater than it was in the days of Paul. But the actual spiritual work done in the earth in proportion to the means used is undoubtedly far less. We need more of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the presence of the Holy Spirit. More in the pulpit. Amen. And more in the congregation. That was really weak. Thank you. More in the pastoral visit. More in the school. More in the covenant group meeting. More in the youth and pivot meeting. More in the alpha meeting. Do you understand? We need more the presence of God in what we're doing. Where he is, there will be life, health, growth, and fruitfulness. Where he is not... All will be dead. I love this next word. Tame. (laughs) How many of us are just living our lives to create a tame world? We don't like anything wild, unusual, outside of the thing that we're familiar with and can control. We bring that into the realm of God. We just want to tame God. We want to tame church. We want to tame what we're supposed to be living in life. It will become formal, sleepy, and cold then let everyone who desires to see an increase of pure and undefiled religion pray daily for more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in every branch of the visible church of Christ. All right, that's, that's, that's what we're about. That's what this series is about. Let me, let me set an illustration before us today. A great, a great picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is associated with fire. When you see God intentionally portraying himself, his presence, his presence which, which is the Holy Spirit among us, you find a description of fire, right? Whether it's a burning bush in the presence of God or it's the pillars of fire or it's the tongues of fire in the New Testament, there is this work of fire, and then there's activity that's described as this is what fire does in people's lives. So I, I want to use that illustration this morning to illustrate two aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, of the ministry of fire, if you will. Right? One of those aspects is, is a slow, progressive aspect of what fire does. Right? I used to work in a building downtown. If you worked in any of these old buildings or maybe you got an old house or something, you can relate to this. There was, there was a boiler system in the building. And so you had this strange stuff in the walls of the building right by your window or whatever you were, the external walls of your office there, where when, when it got cold, like we've had cold the last few days, you know, the building would be very chilly and they would strike a fire at the boilers. There was a boiler system, right? There was these big tanks of water and fire would be added to that water, and slowly heat would be transferred from the fire into the water. And Slowly the heat in the water would boil that water up, create pressure, and that, that water, that hot water would be pumped into the system all throughout the building, and it would flow into that strange-looking thing in the wall that was called a radiator, right? You just thought radiators were in cars, right? Well, radiators were in the buildings. And they were designed to take in this water and to radiate the heat. So the heat would go in and it would, it would slowly get radiated back into the room. So you could walk into your office and it could be quite, quite chilly. 
And you could turn the heat up, and over time, slowly, this whole process would kick in, and things would slowly begin to change. And the room would, would slowly begin to change temperature from maybe being, you know, 55 degrees to next thing you know, it was 57, and a little while later it was 59. And eventually, over time, it, you know, got up to 70 degrees, you were comfortable in there. You know, what you didn't get to do in, in that setting was just, you know, walk in with some little pill or capsule and just, you know, ooh, it's chilly in here. And just kind of like one of those pop things that you throw down at 4th of July. Just throw it on the ground and instantly you're 72 degrees. That's not how radiant heat works. That's not how the Holy Spirit works in a bunch of categories either. There's a bunch of things the Holy Spirit does that are, that are on this list here that are more like radiant heat. It's a slow process. It's the Spirit of God's influence touching ours over a long period of time, and, and we slowly change temperature, right? Things like renewing your mind. That's not an instantaneous thing, right? We, we don't call people forward and say, we're going to lay hands on you today, and when you go back to your chair, your mind is going to be completely renewed. Uh, if anybody does that, you should question that because you should see in the Scripture that, that renewing the mind is a process. It is a ministry of the Spirit. This is, this is where I think we have a really hard time interacting appropriately with the ministry of the Spirit. Because some people, if it doesn't happen like that, they don't think it's a spirit. It's not supernatural. Do you understand your dull, fallen, hostile mind would never absorb nor be renewed without the Holy Spirit? So if, if you've got new ideas at all that you have come to faith and believe, that has been the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Whether that took an hour of a message to get it to you or it took the last 15 years to get your mind into a different place. The Spirit has been leading you into the truth, and it took time. Your faith being refined is a ministry of the Spirit. Over the course of time, God is moving your faith. It says from faith to faith, and in that we are being changed from glory to glory. So that's not, that's not an instantaneous thing. That's a slow, radiant heat thing taking place. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. How many of you know that's an ongoing process? And it is the work of the Spirit. Right Now, if I, I could go on and on to list out some of these. You can look at some of these that are up here, and you can see, yeah, I can see where the normal in the Bible for that is something that takes place over time. This is where, please be very careful when you look at another church and you don't see instant grits going on that you stop and you go, huh, Spirit's not at work there. Spirit, the Spirit of God is not working there. Listen, not only is that an insult to the church, it's an insult to the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, we with our limited knucklehead insights are saying, Holy Spirit, you're only alive in these, my presets, in these categories. You're not doing anything over here. So when I look at that church and I don't see my three presets, I say, dead, nothing's happening. Really. And the Holy Spirit is at work transforming people's lives with radiant heat. Right now, so radiant heat's all over the Bible. But that's not the only form of fire that you find in the Bible. You, you find also in the Bible combustion. Right? You know the difference between combustion and radiant heat? Right? Combustion is instantaneous. Combustion is what happens when the space shuttle gets launched. You know, three, two, one. 
Houston, we have ignition. And what happens after ignition? You come back a few hours later and, ooh, look, shuttle's still sitting there. I bet it's warmer. No, that's radiant heat. Right? Three, two, one, and in the instant there is ignition, there is an explosion of fire. And then the force of that fire immediately propels that thing into space. And there's a giant movement that takes place. Right. Well, today I want to talk to you about the combustion of the Spirit, the way in which the Spirit operates in our lives in an instant. I think I titled this, this Spirit Intrusions, Exploring the Immediacy of the Spirit. Let's turn to Acts chapter 19 together. When we start seeing in the Bible the Holy Spirit's coming into, I don't want to say intrusive because it, it's, 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 it feels as though the, almost like the Spirit wasn't here before. Now, it's not exactly true. Right? The Spirit's gathered and we're preaching the Word. It's going to feel one way. But, but there could be a moment, an instant, where the Holy Spirit visits something into your life that it feels like all of a sudden this is just intruded. It's just, it's just leapt into the moment. It's just butted its way into my experience, and, and things are getting moved around. All right, well, this is a series about not just being aware of that, but about how do I tune into that? Right, how do I move my dial to where I'm not just saying, yeah, yeah, I believe in combustion. I believe the Holy Spirit could just show up in an instant. All right, how do you receive that? How do you move down the dial to where you're saying, God, not only do I see that, but I, I want to get in line with that. I want to be able to say that's been my experience too. And that's where we want to go. We don't just want to end this series with a whole bunch of radio dial information that none of us ever dial into personally. So if there's a combustive work, an instantaneous work of the Spirit, how are we to be able to receive that? Acts chapter 19. Let's read in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> he said, well, in, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That's Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. All right, so there's, there's this event that takes place in these guys' lives that is instantaneous. Right? It, it, it's a work that's going to continue, but it's, it's a work that has an instant effect in its ministry by the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, let, let's think for a moment here. The Apostle Paul is coming to minister to these folks, and he's going to ask them a question. It's an interesting question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
Now, this, this story goes in a bunch of directions. And if you've ever you know, if you've been in the charismatic, non-charismatic, Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal debate world, you know that there's all kinds of stuff in here to debate. You know, what, okay, disciples, is that an accurate word to use on these guys? They only seem to understand the baptism of John. Does that really qualify them to be disciples? It's, it seems as though they need further explanation, and Paul gives that to them, and then there's some ministry that takes place after that. Okay, I'm with you on all that. But here's the, here's the reality that should leap out at us. Why is the Apostle Paul asking this question to people he thinks are believers? No matter how you parse the rest of the story, that's the Apostle Paul's initiation of a conversation with people. He's assumed they believed. He's surprised by their explanation of belief, and that needs to be fixed. You got, oh, you've, so you've only gone as far as understanding John's message. Seems as though you've fallen short. Now, now I'm reading into that a little bit because I don't know all that they really understood, but it seems to be on the face of it. There's, there's some lacking information here. But the question that Paul begins with seems to have an assumption in it that these guys are disciples. They've already believed something, and now he's asking about them receiving the Holy Spirit. What was he thinking they would draw from in their answer. Right? Because this is what we do. We come to this passage, and this is helpful to know, especially when you're reading the book of Acts. We come to this passage, and we bring with us Romans chapter 8. Right? We, you know, Romans chapter 8. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And, and if you do not have the spirit, then you do not belong to Christ. So, Paul, if you're asking me that question, well, of course. I have the Spirit. I couldn't be a Christian without the Spirit. All right, now I'm answering that question having read Romans chapter 8. How many understand Romans chapter 8 hasn't been written yet? So I don't think this is a theological quiz. I don't think he's approaching these guys and saying, hey, can you guys explain to me, you know, regeneration and the ongoing work of the Spirit? Can you guys explain? That to me. I just want to make sure. This is a theological quiz. Just trying to check out you guys how well your how well your seminary degree is working. Right? These these guys are in a remote location with nothing to read except the Old Testament. There is no New Testament available. And he's asking them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? How would they have answered that? Well, it seems if we stay consistent with what Luke has written so far in the book of Acts, there is a precedent that's been created about how one might answer that question, right? So just track with me back to these passages. Acts chapter 2, go back there with me. And I, I want to make a case for what I believe the instantaneous work of the Spirit carries with it a recognizable experiential component. I think Paul is, uh, is asking a question about their experience. He's not asking about their theology. He's asking them about their experience. Right? I, don't, I didn't get a chance to put this quote in your outline. John Piper says, what can we say with a good, what we can say with a good deal of certainty about receiving, that's what he asked them, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, I would start by saying that in the book of Acts, everywhere the receiving of the Spirit is described, it is experiential. 
What I mean is that it's not just a, a logical inference that you know has happened to you only because something else has happened to you. Well, yeah, well, I believe, so therefore, yeah, I, you know, by default, I must have received. Instead, it has effects that are clearly discernible. In the book of Acts, a person knows when he receives the Holy Spirit. It is an experience with effects you can point to. Now, to be consistent with Acts, I think one would have to say that's what Paul's fishing around for. And and you see that elsewhere. Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all, please note the terminology. We have a terminology gathering point here as we study this. They were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right. So let's load up on some terminology here. Here's an event taking place where the words used to describe this event are being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the accompanying experience is that they spoke in tongues, and that was a clear element that they could see happening in themselves and in others. Previous to this passage, we look back in Acts chapter 1. Just turn back there. Verse 5, Jesus explaining why they're waiting in Jerusalem. He says, For John baptized with water... But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right, so Acts chapter 1 is with reference to what we see in Acts chapter 2. So Jesus is saying this event is about to take place not many days from now. This thing that John referred to called the baptism in the Spirit is about to happen. By the time we arrive in Acts chapter 2, now we've, now we've got more terminology traveling with us. We have now the baptism in the Spirit, and we have filling with the Spirit. Both are being used to speak of the same event, an event that produces a demonstrable experience in people's lives. All right, All right turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. The minister here is Philip. Philip is a man full of the Holy Spirit. He has spent time with the apostles in Jerusalem. He is out ministering and preaching the gospel in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Look over in verse 12. But when... They believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Now we, now we have a little bit of a resume here on these guys that we don't have in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, we don't know exactly how these guys became disciples, exactly what they've heard. We, we just don't know too much beyond what they share. In this instance, we know a lot. 
we know a very qualified man who has been with the apostles, who is full of the Holy Spirit, who is preaching the word of God, and they are believing the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, and they are being baptized, not in John's baptism, but in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, so we've got a lot of important groundwork gets covered in that. Even Simon himself, now Simon's going to complicate our formula here. Simon believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might, what? Receive the Holy Spirit. All right, so we're collecting more terminology here. All right, so we've got baptism in the Spirit, we've got filled with the Spirit, now we've got received the Holy Spirit. We've got the same terminology Paul is going to use with the Ephesians to describe and ask them a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? All right, so these guys have come from Jerusalem. They're on a mission, and they're inquiring of importance. It sounds like the way in which Paul, when he met disciples, this was one of the first things he asked them. It seems to be one of the first things these guys are looking for. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Verse 16, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. All right, now I'm going to be careful here because you, you don't want to be careful that you don't read things into a passage. Does, does that mean the Holy Spirit hadn't shown up in any way at all yet? Well, interesting. I think that terminology is very specific. I think fallen on is a phenomena of the Spirit. Different than other activity of the Spirit. I think fallen on is combustion and other things that the Spirit does is radiant heat. So it's interesting here that they have not received the Spirit, and the receiving of the Spirit is linked to this phenomenon called he'd not yet fallen on any of them. Does that mean he hadn't done anything in there? Well, I don't know. It doesn't say. But based on the rest of Scripture, I would be comfortable saying, could they have been regenerated already by the Spirit? But yet they had not received the Spirit in a falling on sense. Do you understand? Receiving the Spirit is a complicated little phrase because it sounds like either I'm at a zero or I've received the Spirit. But that's not the way Acts uses that phrase. It uses that phrase in conjunction with this phenomena of other words. This falling on, this coming upon, this pouring out, this filling, this baptism. That's how that phrase gets used, and it's being used here that way. Then, verse 17, they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And notice, they didn't preach a message to them. They didn't clarify the gospel. They didn't say, you're half baptized. Right? There was just something of the Spirit that they were going to impart to these guys. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands... He offered them money saying, hey, give me, give me this power. I want to I be able to do that. Right? All right, what's the key thing to see here? He saw something. What did he see? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what he saw. But he saw something. Well, what do you think he saw? Well, I think he saw what other locations in the Bible show. He saw them speak in tongues or he saw them prophesy. He saw something observable happen in their lives. I mean, does anybody really read this and, and make the story this really bland, boring story that, you know, you got the, 
the bigwig apostles come showing up from Jerusalem. They, they come up and they pray for people. They're laying hands on people. And, and you know, and here's, here's Susie. She's, she's there and she's receiving and they're laying hands on. And, and they pray and they say amen. And Susie goes and goes back to her chair. How many of y'all think Simon's leaping up going, I want to be able to do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay money to do that. Yeah, give me some of that kind of power. He saw something, didn't he? They laid their hands on people, and stuff was happening to them. All right, so observable, instant activity. Acts chapter 10. Peter is directed by the spirits previous to this to go and proclaim the gospel to the Gentile world. So he is going to Cornelius' house. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things. So Peter's in the midst of preaching. Right? He's, he's preaching a message uh, of the gospel to the audience. Can, can I just put a footnote in for you to in, entertain in Acts chapter 2? Because a lot of people stumble over the event in Acts chapter 2. Because the Holy Spirit falls, comes upon, baptizes, fills. The disciples go out into the street speaking in tongues. Uh, incorrectly, some people interpret that that was a unique event that God was giving them the ability to preach the gospel to the varieties of people who were gathered in Jerusalem on that day. Now, what's accurate about that statement is that there were a variety of people gathered there, and they did all speak different languages, and they were hearing them in their native tongue. But the Bible says what they heard them saying was things that extolled the greatness of God. Could that have been the gospel? It could have had the content of the gospel. But what's interesting is Peter, when that event is, that moment in this gathering of people is over, Peter stands up and preaches the gospel. So if you're looking for the gospel in Acts chapter 2, the place for us to be certain about it is what is coming out of Peter's mouth when he explains to them the gospel and preaches it to them clearly and thousands get saved on the heels of Peter's message. So... I think, I think what happens is when you say that the tongues on that day were the, were the unique means for God to preach the gospel to a bunch of people who couldn't speak the language, what you do is you create an event that isn't replicable. You say, hey, well, that's never going to happen again. I mean, hey, we're all speaking the same language here, aren't we? Uh, okay, well, here in Acts chapter 10, something's about to happen. And they're going to end up speaking in tongues. And this is in one man's household. How many of y'all think that they all spoke the same language? So why, why did tongues show up in Acts chapter 10? So, right, so if you've wrestled with that in the past, I think, I think sometimes looking at Scripture more carefully might, might help us. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, so he's preaching to this group, the Holy Spirit did what? Fell on. All right, do you see the language again here? All right, let's not say the Holy Spirit showed up. Uh, no, if the word of God is being preached, the Holy Spirit's already there. He's already ministering. Uh, he's ministering through a gifted apostle. The gift of the apostle is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The preaching of the word of God is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The opening of their minds to truth is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't show up in verse 44. He's already there radiating heat. But he's about to fall on these people. A different dynamic. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. 
And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was what? Poured out. Do you see these words? These are different words. They were poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have what? Receive the Holy Spirit just as we have. All right, now do, you, do you see the, how these terms hang out with each other? Falling on, pouring out, receiving the Spirit. Right? One chapter later, Acts chapter 11, over in verse 15, uh, Peter has stirred up a hornet's nest. Peter has gone to the Gentiles. Peter has taken what has been a Jewish religion, and by the revelation of the Spirit, he's recognized it's not just a Jewish religion. It is the salvation of every human being. So he, by the Spirit, goes to the Gentiles and pronounces the gospel to the Gentiles, and they encounter God just like the Jews did in Acts chapter 2. And, well, some people are kind of freaking out about that. It's kind of like, oh, Peter, should you, wait, wait, you were in their house? Peter, you were, you were indoors? You, you were among the Gentiles? What, what were you doing? What are you thinking? Right? Culturally, this is a problem. So Peter's got to explain himself. And listen to what he says in his explanation. He's going to give us a little bit of a commentary on what happened. Verse 15. As I began to speak, he's telling the, the leaders who are gathered questioning him. I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. He reckons this falling on to the same experience they had in Acts chapter 2. Suddenly, instantaneously, out of nowhere, this intrusion of the Spirit happened. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord, who was I to stand in God's way? All right, so he's saying, Jesus spoke of this, of the Spirit baptizing people. And he's done it here, just like he did with us. All right, now do you, do you see these terminologies that hang out here? Do you understand why I think when you get to Acts chapter 19, the precedent that's been created here by the writer in Acts, and Paul pulls up into Ephesus. He encounters some people that have been, he's been told they're disciples. So he's thinking they're believers. They share a relationship with God through Christ. And his first question to them sounds a little bit like the apostles asking the guys who had received from Philip the gospel. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And all the evidence in Acts leading up to this is that receiving the Spirit is an event. It's an experience. It's not, it's not a question about, are you really a believer? Are you regenerate? And Martin Lloyd-Jones describes this this way. He says, this is a phenomena, a spectacle, not something hidden, quiet, or restrained. There's an ebullience, a boiling over, if you will, a vitality, a joy, an exuberance, a power. It's here on the very surface. Right, that's what's being described here. Right, John Piper, again, very helpful. He says, now the positive thing I want to say about the moderate Pentecostal teaching 
is that it is right to stress the experiential reality of receiving the Spirit. When you read the New Testament honestly, you can't help but get the impression of a big difference from a lot of contemporary Christian experience. For them, the Holy Spirit was a fact of experience. For many Christians today, it is a fact of doctrine. And do you see the difference? Paul's, I don't think Paul's quizzing them doctrinally in Acts chapter 19. I think he's asking them about their experience. Surely the charismatic renewal has something to teach us here. In sacramental churches, the gift of the Holy Spirit is virtually equated with the event of water baptism. In Protestant evangelicalism, it is equated with a subconscious work of God in regeneration, which you only know you have because the Bible says you do if you believe. It is easy to imagine a spiritual counselor saying to a new convert today, don't, don't expect to notice any difference. Just believe you have received the Spirit. But that is far from what we see in the New Testament. The Pentecostals are right to stress the experience of being baptized in the Spirit. Right, when the Apostle Paul shows up in Ephesus, I think he's asking about their experience. I think he's asking them to think back into the body of knowledge that they have and explain whether they have received the Holy Spirit, and they have experienced combustion, right? Different than radiant heat, different than other aspects of the ministry of the Spirit. This sudden, more localized event encounter with God by the Spirit. Now, most of what we've discussed has been here in Acts in the realm of being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Spirit, this encounter with God that's underneath those gathering of words. Um, but, but there's other instantaneous dimensions of the Spirit where the Spirit just intrudes into a moment, and he, he doesn't necessarily begin something that's long-term. He, he's just intruding into the moment. Now, let me say this to guard us from saying, all right, well, so if, it, if it's an intrusion in the moment, it's not going to continue. no. No, that, that's not clear in Scripture. Now, I think there's plenty of evidence where sometimes God intrudes and the combustion takes place and then radiant heat continues to occur. So there's a continuing of what God's doing later on. But there are events where just suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up and there's something unique that's going to happen right there in that moment. Right? A couple of examples, there's many. Numbers 11, verse 25. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. God is in the cloud, his presence. It's right like... Uh, speaking to Moses here. And he took some of the spirit that was on him and he put it on the 70 elders, right? Do you see the language again here? This is different. This is a putting on. This is a, that falling on thing. This is that on you thing happening. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Right now, you want to just scratch your head right along with me on that one? And the reason was, ask me in heaven. I don't know. But it's there, right? You do see it. And not only did it happen, but God chose to inspire that we would be able to read about it happening and to be aware that it happened. There is such a thing as God putting his spirit upon people, and the effect is that they prophesy. Seems to be very common. 1 Samuel 19 
verse 20, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied, right? In this little section here, you got the Spirit of God coming upon Saul. Saul, with all of his complications, the Spirit of God comes upon Saul, and Saul begins to prophesy. Is Saul now among the prophets, the people were saying. And then these other messengers come along, and the Spirit of God falls on them next, and they begin to prophesy. Right? This just happens. Second Chronicles chapter 20, this is, this is an encouraging passage. Go back and read Second Chronicles chapter 20. You find an event in the life of God's people. These, these three kings have gathered together to mount an assault against the people of God. It's left the leaders and the people fearful and scratching their heads. What do we do? Well, they call a prayer meeting. And they're just waiting on God. Don't know how much time is, is transpiring, but they're just waiting on God. And look what happens here. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, in the midst of the assembly. And he begins to prophesy. And he prophesies what God is doing, what God is up, up to in the midst of that, and how it's going to turn out, and how they're to move forward. Right? Where did that come from? They, they gathered a meeting not knowing what to do just trying to seek some shelter, full of fear, concerns. They just gathered. And then God just showed up. And, and interestingly, God showed up in a guy named Jehaziel. I think he was sitting right back over there. Jehaziel, that guy, yeah. All of a sudden, boom, the Spirit of God, out of nowhere, pops into this guy's life and he is affected. How did he receive, right? When to tune this thing in? I, what did it feel like, Jehaziel? What, what was it? Did, did your hair stand up? Did you have hair? Um, did you get tingly? Uh, I don't know what the guy experienced. How did he know to say anything? I wonder if when these thoughts and these words came, was he mechanical? Was he like a robot? Did he walk to the front of the room and say things without any control over him? I, I doubt that seriously based on what we see in Scripture. How did he know that he wasn't uh, making something up? How did he know it wasn't pizza from the night before? Ugh, I got a thought, you know. Listen, I don't know if Jehaziel got to escape any of the stuff that you and I have to try and overcome when we feel like, okay, that, that's the spirit. That, you know, is that the spirit? No, it's just me. I'm being overambitious. No, yeah, no. I'm sure the guy had issues. But what you see is this phenomenon, this, this locating of the spirit comes, and Jehaziel is able to bring an insight by the spirit into that moment that he didn't have, but God gave it to him. And you see other examples of the instantaneousness of God. Acts chapter 3, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. Right, This paralytic who greets them near the temple. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Right, He have one situation, and then the spirit just intrudes into that thing. And suddenly, it's different. Acts chapter 5, verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Right, so there, there, there's some examples outside of the realm of, of just, we're going to lay hands on you to receive the Spirit. Fall upon, receive. These were, these were moments where people were laying hands on for another reason, and the Spirit was showing up in the moment in their lives. Now, and I don't want to be so strict here because the Bible doesn't sound like it's trying to be this strict. 
is to say that the only thing that we can safely label the instantaneous work of the Spirit is if by the time I take my hands off you, the work's done. Okay. There's a lot of examples where that was the case. Laid hands on you within moments, you know, the rocket's being launched, and there's movement, and there's health, and things are being restored. But I don't think the Bible's trying to say that it cannot happen any other way. I don't think it prohibits prayer followed by an event where God intrudes the next day or God intrudes later that week. And I've talked to plenty of people in my own experience would bear out that there are moments where I sought God in prayer. I, I, people laid hands on me, and then a couple of weeks later was the invasive moment where the Spirit showed up, and I, I began to experience a gift of the Spirit. So I, I don't want to over-narrow this and say, Instant means right there at that instant. It could mean subsequent to the prayer at some point. The Spirit of God shows up. But, but it's combustion-like. It's like if I light a stick of dynamite and I throw it in a room, at some point, it's, it's not going to fizzle for 30 minutes. It's going to boom. It's going to come. And you're going to experience something that suddenly came upon you, fell upon you. When stuff falls, unless you're watching a slow-motion movie, it's pretty quick, isn't it? Right, there's this falling thing. It's not like, whoa, this thing slowly tumbles. It, this language sounds like poured out, fell on, came upon. It's, it's a sudden dimension of the spirit here. Um, all right, for us, how do, how do we receive this? What do we do with this? Can everybody who's, uh, this is like Republican and Democratic Party here, everybody who's loyal to the radiant work of the Spirit, uh, you're not being asked to give up your loyalties to the radiant work of the Spirit here. All right? It's not like we're going to say, okay, from now on, we only believe in the instantaneous. No, no. Right? I mean, all these other things are, are real ministries of the Spirit. We, we, we don't have permission to dismiss one or the other. The Bible is so richly teaching us in both of these categories. Neither do we want to be a people who have at some point in their past experienced combustion and have become negligent or uninterested in the radiant heat of God and, and only feel like the really spiritual people are the people who've got combustion stories. Let's get all of our combustion stories together. All the combustion people hang out. Let's have all the combustion people on this side of the room. You know, we all believe in the instantaneous. I had this experience with God. It was, it was so peculiar and weird I've never seen anybody else. So, really, tell me. And we compare notes and it's like God came and there was this and uh, we tell the story. Hey, that's combustion and the Spirit of God does that. But, but I don't know what happened in the body of Christ. And I know I've been guilty of it. To where, you know, combustion got this sheriff's badge thing and radiant people got demoted to elementary school. You know, oh, your mind's just being renewed. <laughs> one day, one day, maybe. Oh, God's refining your faith and transforming your faith in him. One day, it won't take so long. <laughs> God will just zap you. You know, that zapping thing, you know. Let me just lay hands on you. See, because God's moving in my life. How many of you guys have met people that can tell a combustion story that need to be told, boy, I sure wish your life looked different. 
I sure wish you sounded different. I, I sure wish the demonstration of the Spirit might pop up in categories like love and joy and peace, and I wish that was radiating from your life because you're contentious and you're critical and you're nasty and you're difficult to be around, but you got a combustion story. Congratulations. You might need to be introduced to the other dimension of the work of the Spirit. But I, I think many of us are, are in the, the radiant heat world Almost like we're okay if we don't ever have any combustion. Right? I mean, we're a church that teaches big on studying the word, renewing the mind, application of truth, mortifying sin. All that stuff is radiant work, man. It takes time. And so there's a lot of time, you know, don't be discouraged. God's at work. Your temperature is changing. Yeah, I know you're not 72 degrees yet, but you used to be 54, and now you're 58. You're moving. You're getting there. Be encouraged. It's a lot of what we do as a church. It's a lot of what we see in the Bible. But it's not all what we see in the Bible. Right? So I, I need a preset that says, I, I'm open to God doing something like that in my life right now, today. And maybe you are, maybe you're not. Let me just encourage you in this. I had a few moments to meet with the covenant group leaders before the service, and they were very helpful to encourage just some things that they're seeing of this kind of a work of the Spirit in our midst. And so this was just a few moments of gathering some stories, and we've got more. Because sometimes we read from Acts and we say, yeah, but Keith, that's Acts, you know. That's, you know, there's the, you know, the earth is still shaking from the cross at this point. Of course this kind of stuff is happening. You know, we're way removed from that. All right, well, a few weeks ago we had some prayer here in the altar. A uh, young man came forward, was having some problems with his knee. And, and God led the guys who were praying with them to actually pray for another man who was just seeking God to do a deeper work in his life. And, and that, that prayer took place. And then this man turns and lays his hands upon this guy and begins to pray for him. And, and God heals the knee. Right, just a few weeks ago, right here. Right, just a little more than a month ago. Where's uh, Peter? Peter shared a story with the church. If you were here the morning. That he was in a leadership meeting, and there was a word given. It was, it, this is one of those intrusive moments of God where God just gives a word in an instant. It's not something that we can read from the Bible. can't read a word for Peter Bassel from the Bible. The Holy Spirit's got to give that in an instant. And a word was given, and a word of healing came, and, and a, uh, a twitching muscular problem he's had for seven years now since a surgery instantly went away and has never come back. Just a few weeks ago that happened. Right here in our midst, right? Uh, there was a young woman who's been listening, listening to this, discussing in covenant group what's happening and, and just confess some, some fear about kind of being open to some of these different dimensions of the spirit. And so, you know, group prayed for her, that God would minister to her in that fear and God would bring these things into her life. A week later, God fills her with the spirit and she begins to speak in tongues. Just about a week or so after that happens. Uh, another guy told me a story of uh, he had been praying for some other folks to be healed. He's having his own foot problem and gathers some guys around him to pray and had been having a problem for several days persisting, woke up the next morning completely healed. No problem at all with, with his knee. Um, another young lady was here in the church that uh, had previously had a difficulty becoming pregnant had spent four years involving medication and seeking to be pregnant, and finally they had their first child. Uh, but then there was a word given back in the late spring about people seeking to be pregnant, 
And, and she responded because it's been a few years since they've had children and they, they wanted to pursue more, but it had been so difficult uh, the time before. And so there was a word for a woman to receive that God just gave, and she received it. And, well, guess what? She's pregnant again, and no medical, no waiting, just God giving and granting a move of the Spirit. Um, Another one of the guys in the covenant group leaders shared about, about a man that God is doing a work that, that into his life has come this work of boldness in his life, that where he had struggled and had fear to share his faith and to open up opportunities for the gospel, all of a sudden God has just reversed that and turned that around and God's using this guy all over the place, right? We, and we find that in scripture. Boldness is a manifestation of the spirit falling on people, right? You shall receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. One of the primary things the Spirit is seeking to do in us is to embolden our lives, to shove us out of what we're comfortable with and to give us abilities. So this is not just something that happens a long time ago. It's something that happens today and continues to happen today. So, Matt, let me have you come back up here. And, and I, and I want to posture us to receive this morning. You're going to need to do a little bit of a quick survey here of yourself to see just, you know, where are you, where are you at in your radiant combustion experience of the Spirit of God, right? This last quote from John Piper in your outline says, What Jesus does teach in Acts chapter 1, verse 5 and 8, right, that's the you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you is that the experience of baptism in the Spirit will bring power to witness into the Christian life. In the terminology of Acts, we could say what a powerless Christian needs is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's a lot of us. Right? Is this a legit question for me to ask? I'm not the Apostle Paul, and you're not the disciples in Ephesus. Is it a legit question for me to stand in front of an audience of Christians and to ask you this question? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? You can't answer me from Romans chapter 8 or 1 Corinthians 10 or anywhere else. Because the guys in Ephesus couldn't answer from there. Don't think that's what Paul was referring to. So I ask you this question again. Based on what you're hearing, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Is everybody clear that I'm not asking you whether you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? Because regeneration is a, a work that is done sort of in the private soul-spirit dimensions of our lives resulting in an ongoing radiating effect of a changed life. But this is, this is combustion. This is, this is not you trying to say, hey, well, you know, I, yeah, I think I'm really a Christian. Uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it is for the Spirit of God to fall on you, to come upon you? to fill you, to baptize you. Listen, that seems normal to me. 
I look in Acts, that seems like a normal experience. Not exceptional. I don't think it operates in our lives like radiant heat. I think it is moments where we experience that. But it's normal. And so I, I know, you know, in just a moment, I'm going to ask folks to come receive prayer. And, and I'm aware and I'm thankful. Really, I am very thankful that when we gather on a Sunday morning, God, by his sovereign care, has gathered a variety of people who are in a variety of places in their walk. Right, there's some of you here this morning that, man, you're just visiting. You're going, okay, where is this going? Um, there's some here who have maybe been in places where you've, you've had some bad experiences in this category of, of seeking to receive this way, or you've been disappointed. People are in different places here this morning. And, and you know, I've wrestled through, okay, Lord, we want to we be faithful to minister the word of God. And when I'm seeing in the Word of God here, I see an Apostle Paul asking people about where they are in this and then saying, okay, let's make sure you believe correctly and then let's lay our hands on you so that you can receive. I see the same thing in Acts chapter 8. If the Holy Spirit hadn't shown up all of a sudden for Peter in Acts chapter 10, I suspect we'd have seen the same thing there. We'd have said, let's make sure you believe the gospel and let's lay hands on you so that you might receive have the Holy Spirit come upon you and fill you. All right. So if you're here this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to invite folks up to pray, invite people to come and pray for you. They're, they're going to lay their hands on you to pray for you. Do you know why? Because the Bible just said to do that. That's what they did. Yeah, but that's a weird phrase, isn't it? Laying hands. And I've been in churches where, you know, people laid hands and it was just weird. All right. I, I can't help where you've come from. I can only take you to the Bible and say, let's not throw that away. Right? If somebody messed it up, they messed it up. All right. We're, we're messing stuff up around here too. But I don't want you to edit the Bible because we messed something up. I just come and say, okay, got it. Yeah, I see. Do you, everybody see that there? Everybody see that people in the Bible had their people laid hands on them. And the Holy Spirit just came upon them. Right, well, that's all we're seeking to do. Right, because, you know, where we want to go, especially this year, but hopefully always, is the normal that we're after is right in here. This is normal. Whatever our experience is, let's not call it normal and, until it's this. Then it's normal. Because if it's not this, it's abnormal, according to this. So let's, st let's stand up together. Lord, this morning, again, Lord, as we, as we talked about announcements, uh, Lord, we believe whether it's a school of word class, a book recommended, or whatever, Lord, you are the one orchestrating our lives together as a church. And you'll use individuals, you'll use pastors, you'll use covenant group leaders. You use people, Lord, to care for people, to bring us into the place that you're gathering us. And Lord, this morning, you've gathered us here to listen to this word. And Father, I trust and pray that this has been a word faithful to your word. And there are many here this morning who are receiving, even right now, in their hearts, a recognition that there is there's more of the Spirit. God, thank you for that. Well, none of us are at peace saying that we've arrived. 
We've got it all. Lord, you don't need to do anything further. I don't need anything different. Lord, that's not our case. We need you, Spirit of God. We need a deeper, greater work of your, your work, your presence. And so, Father, this morning we dial in to receiving this coming upon, this falling upon, this receiving the Spirit. Father, give us hearts that learn to be postured to receive. God, give us faith to receive. Give us hunger and thirst for you, Lord. Give us faith to not, to not hold back, to not be at peace with one aspect of the Spirit and not another. So, Lord, right now, draw men and women in this place to receive prayer as we see here in this passage. Listen, I want, I want us to pray for folks this morning. So I'm going to invite people to come forward. I'm going to invite people to come and lay their hands on you and pray for you. Uh, and, and we're just going to let that continue for a while. So at some point here, I may just let Matt dismiss folks who feel like, you know, God's met me here today and I'm good. And, and maybe you don't feel led to have some time of prayer. But I, I would just ask if, if that does occur, if you'd allow us to have just some time to continue just to pray for folks here this morning. Receive the Spirit when you believed? If you are drawn to receive this morning, why don't you come out from where you are? Come stand up here in the front and I'm going to gather some folks in just a moment to have them pray for you. Encourage and share something with uh, with our young people here. You know, you can grow up in church and get familiar with all this stuff and, and be a stranger to it. You, you you haven't experienced it; it hasn't become real to you. But you know the terminologies. And so this is not an altar call for people who have never heard this subject spoken on before. <laughs> Sometimes that's how we respond to altar ministry. Well, I've, I've never heard of that before. I guess I should go. Well, if you've been in the Bible very long and you've been in church very long, there, there's not much I could introduce to you. You might be a young person here this morning, and you've heard this before, and you've heard this before, and you've heard this before. All right, there's, there's nine seconds left right now, right? Can you go back with me yesterday? There's nine seconds left. Are you upset? Yesterday, not right now, yesterday. Nine seconds left, and you don't get to experience the Super Bowl. You upset? Liking that deal? No. I just described something that if you've not received that and experienced that, are you upset? Are you bothered? Or are you just okay? Say, hey, God blows situations and people, and then he blows them up and they experience it. That's fine for them, but I'm good not to have that. Really? 
Is that the Christianity you want? You want information without effect? Is, is that really what you want as a part of the body of Christ? Listen, let's have truth and let's have effect. Right? This is effective. And if you're here and you've heard this, but you've not received, man, come saying, God, I want a new day in my life, Lord. I, 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 I want to know more about what this is. God, I, I want your spirit to come upon my life in a greater way. So, so don't hesitate. Man, it's normal to seek. This is good. This is in the Bible. And what I need for it happening with guys who are gathered up here, if, if you're not sure you've received the Spirit, then I don't want to, this is not an ugly way to say this, but then you don't have any business praying for somebody. You need to humble yourself and say, I want to receive. So I, if you're not thinking, I've, I've not received the Holy Spirit that way, don't come pray for people unless you want to be prayed for. But if you have received the Spirit that way, you know what it is for the power of God to come upon you and fall upon you. I, I want to invite you as a, as a minister of the Spirit to come Come forward. Come up here and join with others who are praying. Lay hands upon them. Let God lead you as to what you pray. Let let me, before we just turn you guys loose. The common experience of the Spirit in Scripture is prophesying, speaking in tongues. But I would not say it's the only experience. There are some people who are going to experience a boldness in their life, a baptism of joy, right? The, the work of the Spirit that is observably making a difference for you. So be open to what God has. If you feel an utterance, give the utterance. Just speak it out. Just allow God to use the words that come out of your mouth, whatever they feel like, however they're formed. Be open to God. Spirit of God, we are thankful that when we gather, you gather. Lord, we know that. But we know that by faith and we know that by your word where two or more are gathered together. There you are in our midst. So, Lord, we know that there is a presence here that's been going on. Lord, it was when we came here to gather earlier this morning. It was during the prayer time. It was during the school of the word. It was while worship was taking place and the word was being spoken. So, Lord, we thank you for all the ways in which your spirit has already been at work in our midst. And, Lord, what we're praying for now is that you would fall upon these who are seeking you. Spirit of God, come upon their lives. Let them receive from the Spirit. Let them be able to encounter you in this way, as many of them already have in other ways. Lord, this morning, let them receive from you. Start in motion. God, count down to combustion, a work of your Spirit that folks know something of your nearness. So, Father, as we're praying and laying our hands, let the power of your Spirit come this morning to touch lives and open hearts to you. the wonders yet unseen 
assist my sight, unveil my eyes to see you. Lord, to know you as you are, to even dare to speak or stand. 